The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This morning, because we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, I thought it'd be appropriate to go through the account of the resurrection in the Gospel of Mark. And I need to let you know right up front this morning, there's going to be something for you Bible nerds. There's going to be something for skeptics, and then something for those of us who are just thinking, I need something more than what's going on in my life. And if your life is currently full, uh, if you've got things that you need uh, repaired by Jesus, the resurrection will give you hope. If you've got anxieties and fears, the resurrection is going to give you an opportunity to have those things washed away. If there's aspects of your life where you feel lonely and depressed, I need you to understand at the end of today how the resurrection changes us. Because every Easter all around this country, it's, it's a pretty similar story. People are going to gather around churches to hear stories we're very familiar with. Um, give or take the church, depending on what church gathering you're going to, you're going to have a little Easter egg hunt, which this year we've, for, we've foregone. Not that I'm against Easter egg hunts, but I, was, I found it funny that the Easter comes from the German-Saxon goddess Oestra. Some people trace it back to the Babylonian goddess of Ishtar. And they would set out eggs and little baby chickens and bunnies. Now, here's the thing. I'm not against Easter egg hunts. I think it's great to put eggs out in a field so that the biggest, strongest, fastest kids can teach the little ones what capitalism looks like. I'm all good with that. We're going to do it in my house. If there's money, I'm down. And then we might even play one of my favorite games to play on Resurrection Sunday. Instead of putting hard candy in the eggs, you put chocolate in the eggs, and you see who could beat Florida to the punch. And uh, I love it. But, but today, we used all of our Easter eggs to as a thing to teach the kids how to share the gospel a few weeks ago, I said, you know what, let's have the kids in the back make mini blessing bags, things that we can take away and go give to someone that's, that's in need. Because this year, you're going to hear me say it again and again and again. We're going to be all about Jesus. And what Jesus wants us to be about is loving God and loving others as we care for orphans, the widowed, and the poor. And I want to press into that as a chapel family this year, that we're making sure that we're focusing in how are we helping kids who don't have families? How are we helping uh, the poor? How are we helping uh, widowed people in our community? Because that's what the Bible calls us to do. With that being said, this resurrection is going to crack it wide open for us. And right, off, right out of the gates, the Bible nerds, you're going to be frustrated. So before I pray and read... I need you to go to Mark chapter 16, and you could either follow along, but if you have a Bible, one of those paperback ones, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 16, right after verse 8, you're going to see a little note that says, some earliest manuscripts do not contain the following verses. And then there's a bunch more stuff under that. In the original manuscripts, the earliest, most reliable ones that we have, Mark chapter 16 ends in a very weird way for a story to end. So we're going to pray, jump in, and see what this Resurrection Sunday is going to resurrect in us. Amen? Okay. Father, we are coming at you with your words, the words that you inspired by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray for every person that's in here right now. I pray for those in here who were invited by a friend and maybe they have a skeptic's mind. Lord, I'm grateful that they're here because that's like my mind thinking, questioning, doubting, wondering. I pray that you would speak truth and reason behind the the rock of our faith that we have. Lord, for those in here who just feel like life's been floating by, like it's been a grind of nine to five with only a little bit of purpose on the weekends, I pray that you would show them, show us, show me what a resurrection life can look like here and now, not then and there. And Lord, I pray for those in here who are just curious and, and wondering what this Christianity thing about is about, Lord, I pray that you would teach them and show them because this is it. Without this resurrection, nothing else matters. Without this resurrection, nothing that we do in churches makes 
and eternal difference. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear your voice, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. Okay, Bible nerds, I'm going to bug you first. We're going to start reading in Mark 16, chapter, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. This is after Jesus had been nailed to the cross, after Jesus had been beaten and mocked, after Jesus had been spit on, after Jesus had the crown of thorn pressed in his head, after Jesus had died. After Jesus had been abandoned by his closest people with only a few sitting by to onlook his death, after Jesus had been taken down from the cross and buried, they went through the Sabbath. And I need to let you know, nobody thought he was coming back to life. That's something that we think about a lot because we look back. But it's proved in the very first part of this chapter when the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. They thought he was dead. They were going to find dead Jesus, not living Jesus. That's why they were bringing the burial spices. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? Who will roll it away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. Hooray! Nobody got that the first time either. If, it's, if the words are, He is risen, come out of my mouth, you got to do that chapel thing. And I know, okay, here's the thing. If some of you here grew up in the Presbyterian church, you can just mumble under your breath, he is risen indeed, okay? You can do that. <laughs> I'm just letting you know, but if you're like, I didn't grow up in church, I don't even know the rules, and you can hooray. If you're in the army, you can hoorah and whatever other military thing people say. They were alarmed, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. Hooray! All the Presbyterians. He is risen indeed. He's not here. Don't feel bad. I worked at a Presbyterian church right before this one. He's risen in, indeed. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The end. In the earliest, most reliable manuscripts, the end of the Gospel of Mark. This was the first of the four Gospels. If you don't know what those are, they're books in the Bible that have names we understand as Americans. If, you are, if you're in the part of the Bible that says like Hezekiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Hukkah, Jogobadiah, that's the Old Testament usually. If you're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you probably know someone named Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In those four Gospels, this was the first one written, and that is most likely where it just ended. The reason why there's text after that is because it made some people uncomfortable later in church history. They said, this is weird that this one just ends. But we have other parts of the story in Matthew and Luke. So what they likely did was put footnotes in so that if someone just got a copy of Mark, because remember, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have these 66 books and letters collected in one little bound thing like we do. They had scrolls. Here's Mark. And they probably had put footnotes in there saying that other stuff happened that Mark didn't record. If you want to continue in the story, you can go, it just picks right up in Luke 24. You can see what happens next. But it's interesting to think about that. Why would Mark want the story to end on some women found an empty tomb and they went away scared? The end. 
It's like those movies. Actually, it's even worse. It's like when you've been binging that Netflix show and you've invested five seasons of your life only to find out that someone canceled it without a proper ending. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Some of you, I, could, I, I felt the seething anger because you invest your life, your heart, your soul in the characters, and you get to the end, and it's like, what's going to happen next season? And then you go online, it's like, oh, it's not on Netflix yet. And you Google it on IMDb, and it's like, canceled. You just throw your laptop against the wall, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> this just ends. <laughs> and I think it's so fitting for the Gospel of Mark because it's a fast-paced book where constantly the disciples don't look like the brightest and the most brilliant and the most put together. It's constant that the disciples are falling apart. They're scared. They don't get it. They're making mistakes. Jesus tells them already three times in the book of Mark, I'm going to die. I'm going to come back from the dead. And every single time, None of the followers listen. He says, I'm going to die and come back from the dead. Peter says, no, you're not. He says it again. And the disciples say, I don't know what that means, but you know who's the best? I'm the best, neener, neener, neener. He says it again. And then the two brothers, James and John, are like, hey, uh, Jesus, when you uh, get to your throne, can I sit on one side of you and he sits on the other? And Jesus is like, I'm going to die. And they didn't get it. And even now, they didn't get it. They went there to give him his, his burial spices the way that they buried people back then, the, the women didn't get it. And people, people might say, the skeptics might say, well, see, look, I'm reading right here in the book of Mark, and, and people have told me, you know, the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's never added to, never taken away. This is true. We, we have over 25,000 fragments, more fragments of a historical document than any other document throughout all of history, which is why we know that this most likely, the verses following eight weren't, weren't in this particular gospel account. But that shouldn't make us disbelieve as a matter of fact, there's something in this gospel account that makes me believe it in it even more. The fact that when Jesus came back from the dead, the first people that he wanted told by this, this messenger were women. Now, don't, get me, don't hear me wrong, women. Back then, women's testimony wasn't credited to them as equal to men. A woman would have to uh, be proven with other evidence. It was very different now, let's be honest. Like, now... In my family, a woman's word is law. It's like Jesus, my wife, my wife, my wife. Right? I don't even remember the last time I dressed myself. I mean, like physically, but even this morning, I got this Easter shirt, and I'm, I'm going to put on jeans that I thought I picked out, you know? And, and she goes, what are you doing? Getting dressed, because it'll be an awkward service if I don't. Those aren't the jeans. I was like, you just tell me what jeans are the jeans, okay? I just want to get there alive. I was supposed to wear a bow tie, but, um, but I ended up getting my pick of jeans. I got to wear the black jeans because they matched my black boot. I wanted to be matchy-matchy with my gimpy-gimpy. And I also have a long couch that I'll be on tonight. See you there. <laughs> my kids are all dressed up. Well, my wife is like the Greek wedding wife. I'm the head, but she's the neck. But in this culture, you, you didn't listen to the women like we do in our culture. Wisely, by the way, wisely. Husbands, if you don't listen to your wives, this is just free bonus info for you. Do it. Okay, moving on from that application. If you were making up a story, you would never have women be the first witnesses to the empty tomb, ever in this culture. It'd be the last thing you do. If you were making up a story to try to lift up and create this system of belief, the last thing you would do would be to put women as the primary eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. 
Mark is not trying to make up a story. He's stating what happened from his perspective. And I think that's pretty incredible. Because no one was expecting it. The Jewish people had, some of the Jewish people had an idea of resurrection, but not this individual resurrection. There were times in the Bible where the dead were raised by the prophet, and then Jesus had raised a couple of people. But in general, the Jewish people believed that resurrection, a sect of them, that resurrection would happen at the end collectively. The Greeks in this time didn't believe in resurrection. They thought that when you died, your body would go to the ground and your soul would finally be freed from the burdens of your flesh. Nobody was expecting it, not even the followers of Jesus. Now, it'd be just as weird if the resurrection happened today as it was for them. Just as unexpected. Imagine that you go to a funeral of someone you love and you see they go down, but then all of a sudden they're like, bang, bang, bang in the coffin. They pop out like a daisy. You'd freak out. You'd freak out like I'd be like, ah! My, my wife is funny. We're in 2019. We have good medical technology. Some of you are medical people. I mean, I only have theological degrees. I, I could not really tell if someone's alive or, or dying. I'm, I'm there a lot. But, but my wife is like, hey, when I die, I want you to bury me with something. Because we talk about death at my house all the time. I'm like, babe, bury me with my Bible in my Pittsburgh Steelers jersey. So when I'm resurrected, I'm like, ah, Steelers Nation, black and gold, you know. Um, I think Jesus will probably purge that from me because it's not about him. And, and my wife is like, if I die, bury me with like a flip phone that has seven days of battery in case I'm not really dead. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, this is 2019. You just, you know, you just kind of like pulse it out. You know, I'd, I don't know. I could, there's so many ways I could find out if she's really dead. You know, I could just be like, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say that. If I gave her a foot rub, she, she would like, she'd be like, oh, what are you doing, you know? You've never done that before in all of life. So I'm going to get her a flip phone. I'm really going to do this. When my wife dies, if, if she dies before me, which I think I'm going to go first because I'm tall and unhealthy. Um, but if she does die before me, I'm going to get one of those flip phones. I'm going to just charge that battery up and throw it in the box. They used to have a little bell, ding, 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 just in case people were dead in there. Because you don't want to wake up in that box, <gasps> you know, but my wife will know. If she wakes up, <gasps> that she'll be able to call me. I'm going to get something cheap like Metro PCS. I don't want to get Verizon. That's like as much as a coffin just to put that phone in there. Um, <laughs> but, I, but, but I, want her to, I want her to feel safe. Wouldn't that be a darn thing, though, if she was dead and then she, or alive, she, and she woke up and it was Metro PCS, but it didn't get service down there? <laughs> Maybe I need to rethink that Verizon bit. Anyway. It's, it'd be just as astonishing. I, my point is, nobody was expecting it. The followers, the enemies, they were like, well, he, the enemy said he kept saying it, so let's put some guards there. But the followers obviously didn't do it. Why wasn't Peter there? Why wasn't John there? Like, he said something. I'm going to go check it out. Is it there? Is it true? But no, they're just sitting somewhere, just, oh, no, Jesus died. And the Mary's like, let's go give him the spices. And then, boom, gone. A little fun fact for you. Uh, all these times we mention angels in the Bible or people that are angelic, the only time they have wings are the specific angels, cherubim and seraphim. 99% of the time that angels appear in the Bible, messengers, they don't have wings. We all picture angels as like either like just like strapping, like wings. <laughs> They're just guys that are wearing white clothes, like Miami Vice, but like shinier. <laughs> Jesus is not here. He's risen. Yeah, kick it in. There we go. Kids, listen. I always believe it. Kids listen more than you adults. But now if you need some evidence, you're like, okay, well, I, I don't, he raised, how do you know? How do you know he raised? This is for, for you skeptics that are like me, like what I was. I want you to remember something, and I know you're going to remember it because you do it every day. It's the word eat. Everyone say eat. 
How do you spell eat? Okay. E stands for empty tomb. What does the E stand for? A stands for appearances. What does the A stand for? T stands for transformation. What does the T stand for? Here's the reason, the logic, some of the historical arguments that we stand on before we jump in faith. Jesus was killed. The Romans knew how to do it. And there was an empty tomb. The enemies of Jesus wanted to disprove that Jesus' body was gone. They wanted to make sure that everyone knew Jesus was a fraud. He was a religious hooligan. But they couldn't find the body. We have references from other historical sources outside of Christianity that confirm that no matter what happened, we could not find the body that was supposed to be in this tomb, that we saw buried in this tomb, that we had guards posted to guard in this tomb. The body is gone. And we say, well, you could just say that. Someone could make that up. That's true. That's true. Someone could. What about the appearances? Over the four Gospels, Jesus appeared at least seven times to multiple people in different places throughout the region. Sometimes it was just a couple people. Sometimes it was hundreds of people. Sometimes it was the 12 or the 11 people. He just kept appearing, hop, hop, in and out. Some people might say, well, you know, um, literally I heard, I heard it this week because I, I listened to as much skeptical stuff as I can. You know, some people think that maybe it was a collective hallucination, a collective hallucination over seven different times in different places. I mean, I wasn't the greatest high school student if you're tracking, but I've never been a part of something like that. Okay? You say, well, you know, okay, let's say, let's say historically we can't prove or disprove the empty tomb, but evidence shows that they couldn't find his body. Okay, there, there are people that maybe saw Jesus or thought they saw Jesus. Well, here's the last one, the transformation of the followers, the transformation of the people who saw Jesus. This one gets me deep. This one, I'm like, I have no, I, I, I can't skeptic my way out of this. Kids lie, right? And by kids, I mean all of us, because you're all somebody's kid. There's this thing I do with my kids. I'm like, <laughs> You know, parents, sorry, if you're, if you're not a parent, just track with me and just trust me, the kids are little liars, okay? Parents, you know when your kid's lying to you and you just know it? Like, they're just saying something and all you hear is, lie, 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 <laughs> And as a parent, you're like, I just, I'm just going to get to the bottom of this one way or the other. Well, I have this thing that I do with my kids. First, I'm like pressing in. I'm like, somebody tell me the truth. One of the four of you is lying. Don't be fooled by Bella just because she's zero, Okay. She used to be all cute. She used to wave high like this. Now every morning, Bella, my zero-year-old, comes out of it. And I'm like, good morning, baby. And she goes, does her hand like this. Kiss the queen. That's how she says hello to me. Kiss the queen. And I do. I'm like, you. I'm not worthy, you know. But they're, all one of the, they're all lying at some point or another, even Bella. But when one of the big three are lying, I, I look at them and I say, okay, the stories you're all telling don't mix together. One of you is lying. And I already know. You parents, we know. We know which one it is. It's like the same one every time usually, right? <laughs> now you're just thinking, how can I get this little liar to confess? And here's what I can do. I, can, I used to just escalate my wrath. You're like, if you don't tell me the truth right now. And I got a new plan. It works every time like a dream. But it involves some Jesus stuff. When I know the kid that's lying, I'll look at him. And they could have been lying. By the time I'm at this phase, one or all of them are crying in fear. Because now I got a cane, right? So now I'm just over there like, yeah, who's lying now, baby? And I look down, and I, I zero in on the one that's lying. I say, look at me, you little liar. No, I don't say that. 
I say, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Right now, if you tell me the truth, just if you just tell me the absolute 100% all the truth, then there's no punishment, just love and forgiveness. And you can see it right on the liar's face. When you say that, there's no punishment, all forgiveness, you just go on. The gerbil gets flicked on the wheel. You see the wheel in their head turning. And they're thinking, this is a trick. And then that's how it was for the first many, many, many times. And even now sometimes you could tell they're thinking like, this is a trap, don't do it. And sometimes you could see the other sibling looking at the other sibling like, this is a trap, don't do it. This is incriminating both of us. But what you got to do is, is a, a love, loving father, a father like our heavenly fathers, when they, they, finally, they finally say, yeah, well, I was lying. This is what happened. And they lay out the truth. And they always do this. They always like head down. Because they took their original sin and they just layered it and layered it. And they always head down. I've never had a kid be like, I lied. It was me. You know? Um, but boy, here's what I do. Here's the key. And if you don't do this as a parent, you're, you're going to end up failing. And it's going to become religion, not relationship. You hug them. You say, I love you so much. I can't. Isn't it amazing how much Jesus forgives us? Isn't it incredible? The way that Jesus forgives you is the way he forgives me, which is why I forgive you. And at times, if it's a real bad thing, I'll take my kids out and buy them something. Let's go get ice cream because you, you told the truth and you turned. And it's so good. It's transformation. Now, these disciples had every reason to recant. They were uh, the followers of Jesus that had seen Jesus come back. They, they were crucified. Some were crucified upside down. Some were lit on fire. Some were thrown in boiling oil. Some were skinned. Some were beheaded. And they were given every opportunity to say, not true, didn't do it, was me. They all went to their death. No one goes to their death for a lie. And, and maybe you might get one crazy person, but you're not going to get hundreds went to their death for what they believed to be true because they saw the empty tomb. They saw the risen Lord, and they were changed. And if you're a skeptic here, I, I don't know how you, how you get around that one. I couldn't, which is why I'm here telling you about Jesus. The resurrection is what hinges it all. If there is no resurrection, none of this matters, literally. In, in my Bible college, for my undergraduate degree, one of my professors said, what would you do if, if we found the body of Jesus and somehow we could prove it, dental records, x-rays, whatever, we could prove it's the body of Jesus. What would you do if we found it? And every single person in that class was like, I would still keep doing this because we were all going there to be pastors. I would just keep on pressing on, knowing that there's some other way. And he got to me. What would you do? Like, I'd go out and have the time of my staying in life. I'm drinking and chasing girls again, just like I did in high school. And you should have seen all these future pastors just aghast with propriety. <gasps> I'm like, the Bible says in the Bible, if the resurrection didn't happen, this is all hogwash. It's nothing. So why would I go against what the Bible says in a Bible class? But I'm here because I believe the resurrection did happen. I, I'm here because I believe that it changes us now. Jesus said in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, the resurrection, it's not a, a stamp that gets you to heaven on that eternal ticket. If you believe the resurrection... If you believe the resurrection, you believe Jesus died to save you, yes. 
You, you believe that Jesus died to redirect your eternal trajectory from going away from God to going toward God and with God. If you believe in the resurrection, you believe that God died and raised again so that you could be adopted into God's forever family. You believe that every moral stain and every struggle you've ever had is paid for in full. And right now, as you stand, you are loved and accepted because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. So, what does that mean? What do we do now? If I just believe this, do I get to do whatever I want? Here's where I think a lot of people would say, no, you don't get to do whatever you want. Here's what I'm going to say. I want you to go live the freest life you can in Jesus. After all, in Jesus, you can't earn his love. You cannot earn uh, an ounce of God's love. All of his exertion is being exerted in his love towards you through Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. He cannot love you any more than he does right now. You can't get more forgiven than you are right now. And it's incredible to me that to think about exertion. I've been exerting myself lately I, with this Achilles rupture and surgery. I'm going to physical therapy. And, um, and they're trying to like work this leg back up. Because right now this leg looks normal. I call it sexy twisted steel. This leg looks like a chicken went on a diet that went on a diet and died and went on a diet. Okay? And they'll go to physical therapy. And they're like, we're going to work you out today. And I'm thinking, yeah, like, like pistol squats. You just get jacked. Like, what are we going to do? And we're going to give your foot, we're going to put a two-pound band on it. The two-pound band? What do I look like to you? And their response is usually something sarcastic because they love me, like a cripple. I'm like, okay. And they put that two-pound band on. I mean, this is a band that, that a toddler could just stretch. And they put it on the ball of my foot. And they're like, now press your foot forward, and we're going to hold it back. And my foot shakes like it's never shook before. I mean, we're talking like I'll put all of my energy into it, and it's just like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's, let me put this. You guys haven't all had this, but I know some of you. I'm talking to dads. Dads, you know when you haven't, like, done a push-up in 15 years? And, like, summer is two seconds away, and you're like, I'm going to get ripped for this summer. And you try to do push-ups like you did when you were 20. And you know when you're on push-up, like, number two, and you're just like, like you're shaking so hard, your cheeks are shaking the Thanksgiving from last year off. Just like, I can't do it anymore. That's why we're all trying to find some cheat hack around it. Like maybe if I just ketosis. Yeah, man, ketosis doesn't make you stronger. It just makes you sad and needing carbs, okay? That's the type of exertion. God is all in on you. More in than any exertion we could do. He's saying, I'm, I love you. I love you. I gave my only son because I love you. And I'm going to change the world. I'm bringing it back. You can't get more forgiven. All of the forgiveness, God's not waiting. God's like, okay, I'm going to forgive all of the sins below a level seven. But these big boys at the end, you're going to have to work those off. God's not doing that. He's not waiting for you to attend more, give more, pray more, read more, serve more. You're totally forgiven if you say, Jesus, I couldn't do it. I'm a wretch. I need you to save me. I believe that you died for me, rose again to show me a hope. You can't get forgiven more because you're completely forgiven. You can't get more saved because you're completely adopted. So what? What is this whole resurrection thing about? What does it change? What does it mean? Why are churches talking about this? I'll tell you what, it's not a ticket to heaven. It's very interesting. When, when John the Baptist was in jail, when his life wasn't going the way he thought it ought to go, he sent a messenger to Jesus. This is Jesus' cousin. He said, messenger, go talk to Jesus and say, are you the one I was waiting for? Because my life is not going the way I thought it should be. And Jesus said, go back and tell John this. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, 
the good news is being preached to the poor and the down and outers. Go tell John that. He didn't say, go tell John that I've got a ticket stamp on the eternal choo-choo train to happy times. He said, things that are broken, I'm making right. This is what resurrection power is. And this is how it changes you and me. If you believe in the resurrection, the more you understand that, that resurrection of Jesus means he has begun the total restoration of all things. He's restoring the broken relationship between you and God. He's been restoring the broken relationship between us and nature. He's restoring the broken relationship between one another and between even ourselves. This is what resurrection means, to be restored. And the more you understand the future that awaits you, the more your life radically changes here and now. The more you, you live in your resurrection reality, the more your life changes here. Because if I'm being honest, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus and you're here because like Jesus is a good teacher or whatever, that's crazy talk because I, I don't understand how people process living absolutely just boring, sad lives if there's no hope for their future. I mean, imagine if you didn't believe in a resurrection where you get a new body, where you get new relationships, where everything that's broken and disintegrating is made perfect and whole as God intended. Imagine if you didn't believe in that and you still spent the better part of 40 years sitting in a cubicle or behind a desk answering emails. Like, if that's you right now, if you're like, I don't think I want to buy into this Jesus thing, but my life is pretty sad. Like, you got to hop on YouTube, follow Will Smith's bucket list and just do that. Just go jump out of a plane, pet a shark, do something. I want you to have, if you're in Christ, an experience that, that has strength that transcends fear and anxiety and purpose. When Jesus was asked, are you the one? He said, I'm putting back together the things that sin and death have broken. And the extent that you and I trust this, and to the extent that the resurrection is real for us, it will change everything about how you live. Think about it. Why is it so hard to face suffering? Why is it so hard to face disease? Why is it so hard to face the death of yourself or a loved one? Why is it so hard for some of us to do the right thing if it means we would lose a little bit of money or reputation or maybe our life? The reason is, is because in all of us exists this leaning to think that this broken world is all that there is, to not believe in the resurrection. Every time we have anxiety over a health issue, I'm, I'm not condemning or shaming. I do it the same. But it's us forgetting that we, this is not our final stop. This is not my final body. I will one day have a body with Achilles that can never rupture, with hair that can never fall out, with eyeballs that never need glasses. Because this body is temporary. Your body is temporary if we believe in the resurrection. And not only that, everything that's broken in this world, everything that lets us down is going to be restored one day. And the resurrection is proof of that. It's hard to deal with suffering and disabilities and diseases and rejection because it's hard when we think that this broken world might be all that we're ever going to have. And, if, and these moments might be the only ones we'll ever live. But at the chapel, we like big butts. If Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than you could ever imagine. You know those moments in life where you think in your mind it's just the most beautiful, perfect moment? It could be the birth of a child, a moment with a friend on a beach, just talking about life, having like the best food you've ever had. Those moments where your brain just sit, whispers, 
I wish this could last forever. In that moment, I need you to understand that every time our mind is clinging to that, Jesus is whispering back, it will. Because those moments, they're little tastes of heaven. And Jesus did a death blow to hell and the soldiers of hell. And right now, we as followers of Jesus bring pockets of this heaven resurrection life, what it looks like into the lives of this world. But one day, all of the brokenness will be gone. One day, the perfect moments of ordinary life will be amazing. And I think about it all the time. You know, I think about dancing and stuff. Like, I love dancing, but I'm terrible at it. Like, if you want to know what I look like dancing, just cook some spaghetti and throw it into the air. That's what I look like. Just a bunch of limbs just gangling around. I'm going on a cruise with some friends um, later this year. And my wife already knows, like, I'm going to dance. Okay? As bad as I am, I have a resurrection mindset. I don't care what anyone thinks of me, so I dance. Some of you can't dance like me, and you're like, I just wish I could dance. I can't wait. I think I'm going to get rhythm in heaven, like some just good old Shakir-looking rhythm. Some of you, you know, you don't sing so much, and you look around on a Sunday, I wish I could sing. I see Jake and singing and Josiah and Reed. They're just singing. It sounds so good. But every time I sing, it's like someone just turns on a garbage disposal, and it's just clanking around with a spoon in there. Yeah, we hear you. <laughs> In the resurrection, just be Michael Bublaying it along. Now, it's not to say that we're all going to sound the exact same, but everything that is broken and out of rhythm and out of sync and not the way it should be, Jesus is putting back together. That's what resurrection is pointing toward. If you're lonely, the resurrection... In the resurrection, you can have perfect love and relationship and community with God your Father. If you're empty, if you're feeling like, I've got no purpose, I don't know what to live for, and some of you are living for lesser things, believe me, I know I do it, living for my kids, living for my marriage, living for money, living for retirement, but you find yourself being empty in the resurrection, you will be fully satisfied. If you're depressed in the resurrection, you'll be fully comforted. Ordinary life is what has been redeemed and is being redeemed. It's being bought back and brought to what it's supposed to be. And I can't wait. I can't wait to meet some of you when Jesus has worked out all of the things in you that annoy me. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Some of you are thinking, like, oh, when I get to heaven, I can't wait for, for things to be amazing and beautiful. I know some of you are thinking wrong. Some of you are like, I don't want to live with my spouse anymore in heaven. God's going to make them your neighbor in the duplex. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. In heaven, all of those things that are broken and wrong and, and evil and self-centered in us are finally going to be removed, and you can begin living in that reality now. Those of you who are in here and uh, struggling, maybe you've got a procedure coming up. I know we, we've had, we just had a heart surgery. We have another one that's scheduled in the chapel family, and I get it. Anxiety is just like, it takes us over. And when, you, when that happens, when anxiety gets you about anything, money, health, situations, remind yourself, Wait a second, that's not resurrection thinking. I, I live forever in a perfect forever with everyone that's perfect around me. This heart that I have, man, my ticker is going to take its last talk sooner than later. I'm big, I'm unhealthy, I've been eating an unhealthy amount of bacon for the last 38 years. Like a legit, like one day I had 39 strips of bacon in one sitting. Right? That's how bad I want to see Jesus. How about you? The insurance I had at the last church, we had to get checkups with a nurse, and we got blood work done. And the nurse called me, and the first question she said is, do you eat a lot of fatty meats and cheeses? I said, yes. 
Now, here's the thing. I love death and I love life. And I love life not because it's just this temporary thing. Because now, with this resurrection power, I could say, this isn't my only body. I'm free to be brave and take risks. I'm free to not be worried and crippled by all these things that I see other people being worried and crippled about. I'm free to have an absolutely boring day behind a desk answering emails. Because I know that emails are a temporary thing. They're going to burn in hell forever. (laughs) And I get to be with Jesus. And we're all learning new things all the time. There's little glimpses of the perfect world that amaze me to this, to this week even. I'm an island kid. I'm half Filipino. I have family in Hawaii. I live in Hawaii. I pride myself in being like an islander, you know? Like, I'll just, let me just go up a coconut tree. I'll crack that thing over with my skull and drink the milk out like a savage, you know? My, my, my great-great-great-great-grandfather's name, his name is Lapu-Lapu. Like, that's how island I am in my dreams, okay? I've eaten so many mangoes, I couldn't tell you. This week. Like, I've seen them cut different ways. I've never figured it out. I just skin it and eat it like a savage, and I just gnaw around the core. This week, my very, very not-island wife, that, that stone-smoking-hot fox right back there, she's like, check this out. She gets a mango out. She cuts around the center of the mango, like around the stem. And I'm like, interested? Okay. And then she twists it. Poof. And she pulls the mango out. And it's legit like God's design for a cup of fruit. And you can just spoon it right out. No skin and no juice everywhere. It's like a cup of delicious mango. And I thought, Lord, I'm an islander. I should have known this. <laughs> Didn't you have a book that came with my birth to teach me this? And it literally it gave me so much joy. Like the rest of the day I was thinking, dude, I'm going to eat all the mangoes in the world today. This is just a mango. Just just the correct way, or uh, in my opinion now, the best way to open a mango. It's just one tweak from like skinning it and like turning your floor into a slick of syrup sticky death. to now I'm like, slice, twist, pop and eat, you know, like an infomercial for a Lunchable. And I'm thinking, that's just one thing of like, I was doing something dumb, and she showed me a better way. And Jesus is going to do that in the resurrection. He's going to say, don't worry about this cancer thing that you've got. Like, that's not going to live forever. Now, it's, you might, it's hard. I get it. It's hard. I understand that it's hard to believe. Because sometimes some of you are so lonely, you think there's no relationship that can satisfy me. Some of you are so sick, you're thinking, but what if this is? What if this is the only life? And I have this theory. If, if you believe that this is your only life, truly, I think that when you leave today, it's got to change. Whether you're a, a follower of Jesus or you're at, and you're like, here, I'm, like, I'm not a follower. I just, someone tricked me. They said, we're going to go right, grab coffee and we grab folders. You, you know. <laughs> but whatever you are, when you leave here, I think your life has to be different. Either in Jesus, you're going to be like, I'm going to live my rec- resurrection life right now. When worry comes in, I'm going to be like, wait, what am I not believing in? I'm not believing I get a new heart. I'm not believing that cancer's not going to be in me. I'm not believing my brain's going to work. My hair's going to be there. My eyesight, whatever. When you're worried about some relationship is strained, you're not going to be like, oh, wait. My, my, my wife or my husband, they don't like me. They're, they're so mad. My kids are abandoning me. They hate me. Remind yourself, resurrection. One day, your kids will come back and say, you are wiser than I thought. Hopefully it happens in this life. That's what I'm banking on. One day, in Christ, in the resurrection, you and your spouse will never argue again. You'll just sit there and drink the only beverage that heaven's going to have, coffee. That's the AM beverage. They've got different PM beverages. That's in the Bible. Take it from me. Now, the resurrecting king, if he resurrects you, you'll sing and dance with friends around campfires. 
It will all be what it was meant to be. And we can have a taste of that now when we trust and look forward to the future. Because either you're here and you're in Jesus and you're like, yeah, you're right. I've been anxious. I've been worrying. I've been freaking out. I'm going to trust the resurrection. Or you're here and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus. But here's what I have to say to you. Man, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if this is all there is and the life you're living is the one that you think is like, is that it? Like, I don't want to lead you to despair. But I can't see a way that doesn't head toward despair. If I didn't have the resurrection hope that's based on the reason of Scripture and the transformation of the followers and the appearances of Christ and the empty tomb and the fact that he was fatally tormented, if I, if I don't put my faith bouncing off the, the diving board of that reason and histor- historical evidence, if I don't do that, I don't know. But if you are in that, if your faith is there, what can scare you? Swim with the sharks. Jump out of the planes. Love your neighbor. Serve the poor, even if they look different, act different, and might threaten you. Go out and foster some kids because there's kids in our community without a family. Go out and spend hours of your life speaking with widows and and those who are elderly, just wanting to share their story with someone because family has left them behind. And you don't have to leave there thinking, wow, that was three hours of my life. You could think, wow, I can't wait to spend another three hours with them. 10,000 years from now in the resurrection. This is the good of the resurrection in your life today, to be free, to be at peace. And it happens. You know, I, uh, sometimes God knocks you on your butt to teach you to slow down. That's what he's done with me. I was doing things. God, we got to figure this out. We got to figure that out. And God just said, sit down. I said, okay. What I've remembered that I was forgetting about was that no matter what I do, and we should plan, no matter what I, no matter what I execute, and we should do things for the kingdom, but not to get God's love, not to get God's approval, not to prove ourselves to others, but because of all that he's done for us and the resurrection power that's now in you and me. You can have this today. It's, like I said before, 100% free, 100% yours. All you do is place your faith and trust and say, I've been trusting in myself. And I need to trust in Jesus. I've been relying on myself for identity and security. I need to trust in him, that his death and resurrection on the cross was enough for me. And in that moment, you can be fully forgiven and fully loved. And the best news, you guys, you can walk out of these doors and be free. Because one day, we're all going to know how to slice mangoes. One day, we're going to sit aside campfires with David and Moses and a couple of you guys. One day, some of you who sing like a garbage disposal are going to sing like Michael Buble and Christina Aguilera. One day, those of you here who are the most cantankerous, ornery people to be around, you're going to be a delight. And your spouse will barely recognize you. One day, one day, some of you here who have struggled with loneliness your whole life, even, even in the resurrection promise, you struggle with loneliness and emptiness and despair. One day, you'll feel what it's like to be fully included and fully loved, fully his. One day, those of you who are leaning on some substance or thing, whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is you lean on, a pint of Ben and Jerry's, one day you'll realize this whole time that God's been holding out his arm saying, I'm here and I'm a lot stronger than the thing you're leaning on. Come and find freedom. I pray that you would do so today. Let's pray. Father, it's Resurrection Sunday. You set this plan into motion, Lord, 
before time began, you tell us. And you have loved us with a total exertion of love, Lord. I pray now that you would teach us what it means to live a resurrection life. Lord, I pray now that you would teach us what it means to live with fearless freedom. Lord, for those here today who are wondering how they could start a relationship with you, I pray that they wouldn't leave without asking. Lord, I thank you for the little ones that cry. I pray that, that you'll bless them. Lord, I, I thank you that you love those little kids so much. I pray that we would have more kids in this service year after year, week after week. And Lord, I pray for that poor mama. Because I know what that feels like. Bless her in the lobby. If you could hear me, mama, get some of those chocolates. Father, for those in here now, we're about to head out. For those in here still wanting to cling on to life without you, life without resurrection, Lord, light a fire in their mind and their heart to turn them around and get them to the front. For those in here who have been living with fear and anxiety, put the hope on the eyelids so they can't leave here with that same anxiety and fear they walked in with. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.